Welcome to Holy CV, a podcast where we talk about what it means to be a Catholic Christian in the Church of England. And today we're going to be talking about a, a notable uh, a notable theologian in that regard, one who I, I think is is having something something of a, a comeback based on the conversations I've been having with with young students of theology in St. Andrews and Cambridge and here in Oxford. Eric Lionel Maskell. So we have a historian and an independent researcher here today, Peter Webster, who's written a series of articles about Eric Maskell. Welcome, Peter. Well, hello there, Clinton. Uh, thank you very much for the uh, invitation. It's great to be here. And uh, before we delve into our discussion of E.L. Maskell and his work as a theologian and his ideas about the vocation of the theologian, I thought it might be helpful if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first developed an interest in English church history and theology. Well, so that goes that goes quite a long way back to, to graduate study, actually, as an early modernist, especially in the 17th century and my my career outside has taken sort of a number of various turns along the way but i uh, to cut a long story short it involved kind of a migration into the 20th century um uh and specifically in relation to maskell the the interest came out of uh, the process of writing a book on michael ramsey which was published uh in 2015 always published by routledge now it was an ashgate title at the time and and a maskell cropped up quite often because the two knew each other Quite well, and in many ways, uh, they that they bear they, they are similar in, in in all sorts of interesting ways. But what what became quite clear in the process of writing that book is that actually a number of the events in Ramsey's um, uh, time as Archbishop of Canterbury actually revealed some quite significant differences in temper and approach uh, that actually wouldn't have been so visible in the earlier period, really. And so I was asked to go and give a lecture at Pusey House in Oxford in, I think, 2017 now. And I used that to compare and contrast the two in relation to two particular episodes. One was uh, one was a reception of John Robinson's Honours to God, uh, a controversial book of 1963, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. And also their reactions to the uh, proposed scheme to uh, reunite Anglican and Methodist churches in England, which failed, failed twice uh, in the in the Church Assembly and then the General Synod, uh, and Ramsey and Maskell found themselves diametrically opposed over over that scheme. So, it was out of that I published a comp- I published an article in a recent collection of essays on Anglican Methodist ecumenism, which came out earlier this year on on that episode in particular. And the interest has kind of continued to kind of burgeon from there. So that, that's kind of the slightly crooked path by which we got to where we are. Okay, there's a lot there. So perhaps we can kind of sl- slow down and talk a little bit about these theologians as persons and also uh, what, what, why they're notable and, and why we're discussing them. So you, you mentioned Michael Ramsey in your book on Michael Ramsey and, and then also Eric Maskell. And and how you somehow migrated from studying 17th century English church history to to looking at their work. So I guess can 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 you tell tell us a little bit about who who was um, Michael Ramsey and and what was his relationship to Eric Maskell? Can can you set the scene uh, for, for can, the, these can. these theologians coming of age and and entering the church? 
I can I, I can do that. And actually, maybe if I set the scene slightly wider even than the two of them, that might be helpful. Yeah. I think if you look at this, the state of um, Anglican Catholicism in the in the sort of mid to late 30s and early 1940s, there's a real sense of optimism in the movement at that time. Uh, you kind of see it in in you know in the in the parishes more broadly in, in connection to the big celebrations that there were around the centenary of the Oxford movement in 1933, uh, but in theology there is a there's at the same time a, a kind of a, a bit of a general a feeling of a kind of a generational shift uh, 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 and a sense in which actually there was that despite this kind of strength in, in the parishes and in its kind of worshipping life, there hadn't yet been kind of an output of that from the from, from Anglo-Catholics in terms of dogmatic theology. And there was a sense in which that was kind of, that was, that you know, the, that the movement was on the cusp of producing some quite significant things. And so, and it's in that, it's in that kind of, con, in that kind of, and that general racial shift is, is in part to do with an increased scepticism with uh, quote unquote liberal approaches in both philosophy, religion, and uh, theology proper, uh, a sense in which actually that the, the movement associated particularly with the modern churchmen's union had kind of run its course to an extent. There was a sense in which it had been, it had run into the sand, uh, it, uh, partly for a dent because it's it's kind of inherent, the inherent faith of that of that movement in in kind of evolutionary senses of the way that human progress worked and the way in which theology developed had been dealt quite a heavy blow by the first world war and and so maskell certainly feels himself to be in, in part of, it, of a new generation that that is, is is setting that aside and at the same time is also very keen to to resist the uh, uh resist elements of, of, of the thought of Karl Barth, which is just starting to make its, its effect in the English Academy in the late 30s and early 40s. And so there's a sense in which actually and that movement breaks in two ways. It breaks in the direction of, of, of an increased interest in biblical theology and also uh, increased interest in what might probably be, be called dogmatic theology as well. And so within all of that, you can kind of put... Uh, you can put Michael Ramsey in in, uh, in that kind of grouping. Uh, you'd also place Maskell within that kind of generation. Two other names who have a similar, almost very very similar age are, are Gregory Dix, whose uh, who's most famous book is *The Shape of the Liturgy*, published in 1945. Austin Farrer also kind of falls within that kind of kind of sphere if you see what I mean so so all of that and so there, there's this just sense that there is a moment in which actually there might be a kind of a return to um, uh, catholically based uh, historically grounded orthodox dogmatic theology coming from with this within this generation of scholars in you know in that from the sort of late 30s through into the mid 40s around I think of two of those figures you mentioned uh, Austin Farr and and Michael Ramsey studying at Cuddiston with, with Bicknell, who, who wrote the famous commentary on the 39 articles. And it makes me wonder, to, to what extent was there a, a, a deep connection between the theology of, of the English Reformation and, and the, the high churchmen and, and so on, and, and what 
Ramsey and, and Farr set out to do. And then also, if you could talk a little bit about the difference between the way that they were formed and, and Maskell's formation, because he, he didn't set out initially to study theology or, or to, to train to be a priest. He instead studied mathematics. So, so I guess I'm wondering, to, to what extent did the, the tradition of, of the, the Anglican Church form them and to what extent were they more so drawing on uh, continental influences or or say the neo-scholasticism of the period so there's a lot so there's a lot there's, there's quite a lot in 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 that question but i'll, I'll have a go uh so so in, in in terms of in terms of continental influences you can certainly see so maskell well both maskell and farrow become known as the probably the most significant uh, uh, interpreters of Thomas Aquinas within the Anglican Church in, in, in the period. Uh, uh, scholars differ about exactly what priority you should place on the two of them, but the, the, they're the two names that are kind of out in front. Um, and so most obvious, and so I've got another, hopefully, hopefully forthcoming article specifically on, on Maskell's adoption of, of, of Thomism as a, as a kind of a grounding uh, philosophy. Um, Ramsey is much... Uh, Ramsey is is set slightly apart from that in the sense that actually Ramsey's openness to Bart uh, as uh, as mediated through um, E.C. Hoskins in Cambridge is, is greater. Um, at least to begin with, uh, Ramsey talks about Bart being a moment through which, kind of a dark night through which English theology kind of had to pass, that, that he emerged at the other the other side of it, still a Catholic, but, but, but shaped in a slightly different way. But Maskell's reaction to Bart is much more uh, extreme and much more total uh, rejection of them is much more much more considerable if that makes sense. So that there's that kind of there's that kind of going on, and you've got to see them as kind of coming from different. Their backgrounds are different. So you know, Farah grows up as a as a Baptist, uh, uh, but um, and Ramsey grows up in the Congregational Church, and both are formed in a Catholic direction in in, in early adulthood, uh, which is uh, which is slightly different, and that's not quite Maskell's path. And as you say, Maskell begins life as a mathematician, and was not uh, was not at all well. It, it, it's possible that the thought was in his mind, but it certainly wasn't his atten- intention to go for ordination. He spent three not particularly happy years as a schoolmaster teaching before then coming back to Ely uh, Theological College. So, so where, as you say, both um, Farah and uh, and Ramsey are Cudston men, but, uh, but uh, Maskell isn't. And they also have a slightly different... Uh, Thinking about, for instance, Gregory Dix, you've got to see Gregory Dix because he is a he's a he's a he's a Anglican religious. He he spends uh, the, most of his later later time. He dies very early to Dix, but but he spends his his, his most of his time in uh, uh, among the Anglican Benedictines at Nashton Abbey in Buckinghamshire. Um, both Maskell and Ramsey um, uh, spend some time in the parishes and then become a sub-warden of Lincoln Theological College, Ramsey first, and then Maskell. So they both go through a, through a, they both go from the parishes into theological education. Their paths then separate after that, but there is a common, a common thread there. Uh, Farrah's path is straight into the universities as a, as a, as a university chaplain in Oxford. So they're, so they're, they're kind of institutional locations of all slightly, slightly different as well. I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. It does. It's very helpful. And, I guess it, it's so tempting. There, there, there's so much to talk about here. 
you've written th three articles that I've seen on, on Maskell's thoughts. Uh, one th that looks at the many places where he wrote about holy orders and where he defended the traditional Catholic Orthodox Christian teaching on, on holy orders uh, over and against more uh, egalitarian developments in Protestant circles at the time. And, and, and then you have, you have another article where you're looking at the ways in which Maskell responded to these attempted union with, with the Methodists, but, but also with other Protestant bodies and, and how churches should go about seeking union. I think you interact with a book that, that he worked on with, with J.I. Packer, uh, Growing Into Union, in that section. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a fascinating thing to, to talk about, but I, I, perhaps it would be too far afield from the subject at hand. And, and then third, the one that really caught my eye, and I hoped we could focus on, is this, this uh, article about, about Maskell and the vocation of the theologian. I, I think that part of the reason uh, I, I'm meeting a lot of um, Anglican students of theology and, and, and Anglican um, ordinands and, and, and churchmen who are particularly excited about Maskell's thought is because he, he represents... Uh, a sort of um, road not taken, uh, an approach to, to theology and churchmanship and tradition that, that many did not follow, that, that people look at now when, when um, the, the sort of attempted um, synthesis of Christian orthodoxy and, and the contemporary zeitgeist seems to be a dead end. And, and they say, oh, Perhaps this is this is um, an alternative path. Whether you're a clergy laity or or someone who's going to be writing about or teaching theology. So, so can you talk about what inspired you to to um, to, to research Maskell's approach to the vocation of the theologian? Well. It's a good question. I'm not quite. I'm not sure I could answer it very easily. But okay. maybe, but but maybe if I talk a little bit about it, it'll be kind of it'll become become you know I could be able to outline it a bit. I mean, you're right to say that there is. I mean, I, I, I like this this notion that in a sense, actually, masculine that generation uh, represents something like a, a road not travelled, um, because there there was very clearly a kind of a, a kind of eclipse. In this, in the early so late forties and early fifties, um, where I think with the mainstream, I hesitate to call it the mainstream, the, the most kind of uh, the parts of English theology that seem to have the most momentum are actually flowing in a different in a different kind of direction. Uh, if I say that, so so this is this is the you know uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's famous letters and papers from prison, which is the the book that. If anyone, if most Anglicans have read any Bonhoeffer, it was probably that. That is uh, translated into English in 1953. Um, uh, Bult, uh, uh, Rudolf Bultmann's work, particularly the collection Kerrigmer and Myth, comes into is also published in English at about the same sort of time. It's around about the same moment or a few years earlier that uh, John Robinson, uh, who later to become Bishop of Woolwich, but a but a you know, a major theological figure of his time. He's reading Paul Tillich in that period in the late 1940s. And so there's a sense in which actually that the energy for that, and we could speculate about what the reasons are, but the energy flows in a quite distinct kind of direction. There is this sense that 
Maskell sees it as kind of a loss of confidence in the tradition, if that makes sense. Um, one thing that's very common in this, in the discourse of, of kind of re religionless Chris, Christianity and, and demythologization, that, 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 that these are the words that are kind of uh, used about this, about this movement. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a focus on the need to kind of, to somehow replace or deconstruct um, certain forms of Christian language, certain symbols that quote unquote modern man couldn't, could no longer stomach, couldn't really kind of relate to. Supposedly, in the in the mid fifties, late fifties, early sixties, and also a sense that the church itself um, was an obstacle to faith, if that makes sense. So the, the, the the vocation of the church was to was almost to disassemble itself and to embed Christian life in in the world in order to to, to in, in, if you see what I'm trying to say. So so these these are quite powerful discourses at this time. What they mean is always is not necessarily very very clear but there is that there is that but all of that is pushing is heading in a different kind of direction to the theology that i've been talking about in in the 40s and so there's you know uh, there's a succession of really quite it's an age of theological bestsellers which actually we would find very hard to to imagine now uh, it, it must be said in 1962 there's a very famous collection of essays called Soundings, uh, edited by, uh, by Alec Vidler. Um, uh, John Robinson himself publishes uh, Honest to God in 1963, which sells hundreds of thousands of copies in, in the first couple of years. It's, it's a remarkable success. Um, and, and, so, and, Maskell's, and Maskell sees a real threat in all, in all of this. He sees this as a kind of a, dis, really as a bit of a dissolution of everything that he'd been trying to get at previously. And, and sees it very definitely as a wrong turning. And so his work, um, which was always based on the kind of critique and elucidation and dialogue with others, um, uh, takes on a very particularly polemical edge from the mid, some, for, takes on an extra polemical edge from the, that period onwards. So okay, publishes... well, maybe it would help if we slowed down a, a bit, because sure. uh, I, I think you, you've, helped sketch a picture of the road that was taken that the, this um christ not the church um you know jesus the person over catholicity uh you know this more mm -hmm. uh, anti-metaphysical and, and um skeptical approach to christianity or, or this religionless christianity yeah that, that became popular in the early 60s but E.L. Maskell had, had been writing theology and teaching for quite a while before then. And, and so I guess as we try to understand his, his vision of the vocation of the theologian, I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about his early work. So his works of classical theism, he, he who is an existence and analogy, and also his works in moral theology and Christian anthropology, man, his origins and ends and, and the importance of being human. What was he trying to do in these early works when he was first establishing himself as a theologian? Well, he's two, trying to do two things, which are in a sense part of the same project. And what's kind of interesting about him is that he does, that he is kind of attempting to do both and not, not many of his contemporaries are proceeding on kind of both fronts. Um, Firstly, uh, uh, so as you mentioned, He Who Is, uh, which is published in 1943, 
and then Existence and Analogy, uh, which is published in 1949, which is very much a, a sequence, uh, a sequence, sorry, a sequel to it. It amplifies a, a point. Uh, those are really, those are really books of, they're effectively books of metaphysics. They're really about uh, how it is that we should understand the existence of God, how we should understand the metaphysical relationship between creator and creation and, and creature. And on, and on the top of that, then actually, for, and actually having, having, under, having tried to re-establish those foundations, which he which he thinks have been have been lost in uh, in in the way in which uh, the metaphysics of liberal theology had, had developed in the previous few years, I don't propose to go into that. But that's a rabbit hole we could disappear down. But um, well, there's a sense in which he thinks that there's foundations to lay afresh, um, and at the same time. Uh, Based on his under, on this understanding, his understanding of, of the relationship between cre uh, creator and creature is very much one in that actually that that the human the human person is fundamentally always open to the action of God. That actually that, that the work of the work of grace supernaturalizing or perfecting nature is an ongoing thing, and, and it happens at all sorts of levels. But and so that uh, and so. And a part of his work, which is actually rather neglected, mainly because most of the books haven't survived very well because they're quite ephemeral, uh, is actually really quite a strong uh, critique of, of contemporary social and economic life in the late 30s and in the early years of the war. Uh, Maskell is, is closely, uh, closely associated with a group called the Christendom Group, who, 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 are, who were kind of a, of the, are the most catholically orientated of the many different voices in the in the period before and during the war that are thinking about what what's gone wrong with western society that has got us to this crisis and what what should what should we do to reset or to rebuild after the war's, war's finished and so maskell is doing both of these things at the same time and so you mentioned man is origin and destiny 1940 you know this is a shilling this is a, a book uh, in a, a very inexpensive paperback that sells for a shilling and is part of a series of 10 short books which he co-edits and he also write, he writes another one as well which are really trying to set out a complete a complete blueprint for what a western society rebuilt on catholic foundations might look like in the post-war years um, that project also runs into the sand in the years after the war for other for other complicated reasons we could go into but i don't propose to so so that's what he's trying to do there's both a foundational philosophical and basic theological um, uh, element to it and an element of application and maskell returns to that sense of of, of uh, society economy and morals uh, in retirement uh, but actually but the, but his mid period from from uh, from the mid 40s until the mid 70s is really very quiet on all of that which is uh, for various reasons so those are the kind of the two things which he's trying trying to get at okay so so as as theologian he he sees a need to restate the, the metaphysical truths of christianity that have been marginalized or or um, challenged or forgotten and express them in a way that people from that era can understand but he also wants to show how these things relate to moral life and, and to what it is to be human and so on. And so he's writing things uh, on that end as well. And, and so what does this tell us about his vision of the, the theologian and his relationship to ch the church and society? 
well, um, it's it's a relationship which he doesn't he doesn't talk about. Well, no, he does. He does, but he does talk about it in the early career. But he, but he sees, he, he detects, and in, in a kind of quite a profound crisis in that relationship, as far as he sees it, in the English church and society. By the time he gets, and it's by the time he gets into the mid sixties, and particularly in a in a book called uh, Theology and the Gospel of Christ, which was published in nineteen seventy seven, which is kind of his post retirement assessment of what's happened to theology and what's gone wrong if that makes sense mm. um if if the human being is profoundly open constantly open to the action of grace then the 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 achievement of knowledge of of of, of most things but of god in particular is 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 to do with that direct action of, of grace on, on on the human intellect if that makes sense mm. if that is the case master wants to assert quite clearly that actually that you have to, that, that theology has to be viewed as something which is something that comes out from within the ecclesia that it that is something that's that's going to be that's only going to be successful uh if it if in fact it, it it's developed within uh, uh it's developed uh, by a thinker who is open to those who, who is who is a faithful member of the church who, whose prayer life is whose prayer and worshiping life is is sound who, 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 uh, uh, and such there's an intimate connection between uh, uh, between success in theological insight and the degree to which one is being making oneself receptive to God's action in, in, in doing all of that so so there's a sense in which actually so so so, so there's that uh, there's then an, there's then a problem as far as he sees it with the way in which university theology has been heading in the period up to the mid 1970s um, it's partly to do with subject matter uh, for for good historic reasons for the keeping of the peace university theology between the walls and before had tended not to spend too much time on the on the on the controversial aspect the kind of dogmatic issues that divided the churches it was simpler not all sorts of reasons why it was simpler not to spend time on those so much because they were a matter of such such deep disagreement um and so maskell sees a diversion of, of much of what is called theology in the universities towards areas of study that are kind of ancillary to the main business so it's possible so he would say that the psychology of religion, the study or textual study of the writings of the New Testament and the early church, or the Old Testament and the church, um, church history, uh, canon law, all of these things are important things to study, but he, he sees that, 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 that university theology has, has found itself occupied almost completely with those and is ne neglecting the development and refinement of the central dogmatic structure of what the church believes. And that, that is, that is, that's the crisis which he sees. And as well as that, he also sees that there's there's a, there's a basic problem of method and approach that leads scholars to the kind of conclusions that that Robinson and a symposium like the Myth of God Incarnate, which is uh, which is a all a very very famous uh, uh, symposium of essays in 1976 or seven I forget, um, all of which are written by uh, university based scholars. And which seems to get quite close to a non-realist interpretation of uh, almost a non-realist realist interpretation of God, and certainly certainly a, a secularized understanding of Christology. 
And so as far as the university theology is concerned, it's, it's asking the wrong questions and the ones that it is asking, it's asking in the wrong way and coming to wrong conclusions. Maskell stops short of saying, you know, if all of these people had really been attending to their own spiritual life, they wouldn't have got here. Uh, but it is kind of the conclusion which is possible to draw from his, his understanding of where, where, from where theology is energised. Um, and so by the, so I think, so I think that the critique was overstated as it happens. I also think that he's writing in the mid seventies at the high watermark of a certain kind of liberal approach to theology, which has not, hasn't retained the strength that it seemed to have. And so Maskell's kind of uh, prophecy of doom was probably slightly overstated. If we look back at a distance of what's getting on for 50 years at it now. Perhaps so. We can pick that up uh, uh, as we continue. I, I do agree that that the, the situation that he was assessing and responding to has, has changed significantly, and, and the kinds of um, errors and innovations that, that we see today are very different um, th than those that were most popular in the 1960s. But I think he even deals with some of the ones that we do see today in, in some of his later work, like some, something like whatever happened to the human mind, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I think he, he was not unaware that, that the, um, the conflicts uh, between the, the theologian and, and the thought of the world were shifting. Uh, I guess, You've kind of um, both sketched out Maskell's early project when when um, times were more uh, propitious, and, and, and then also the the challenge that he faced in in this sort of era of positivism and naturalism and and um, these these various influences gaining gaining a uh, strength and people, you know, leaving the church and apostatizing to, to a frightening degree for many, uh, for, for, for many clergy and faithful. So, so I, don't, I don't know if this would be putting it too strongly, but as I was reading your analysis, it seemed like you focused on the series of works that Maskell wrote in the 60s and 70s that were responding to uh, various popular works that, that by traditional standards would be considered heretical. And it seemed like at the time it was, it was quite popular to, to um, speculate, whether you're a priest or a theologian or a bishop, along the lines of uh, what if we could imagine a Christianity where there, there was not this sort of embarrassing supernatural elements, you know, whether this is the, the virgin birth or the resurrection or, or, uh, various other things. And, and Maskell is, is quite critical of this approach to scripture, tradition, the authority of the church, and, and, and so on. As you look at the, the difference between the kind of work he's doing as a theologian early on, and then the kind of work that he's doing in the face of what, what he would at least consider sort of crisis in the church, um, is, is he looking at the church and saying, we've had a sort of um, revolt of the theologians where they've they've fallen into pride and, and, and hubris and innovation and they've betrayed the, the the faith once delivered and the faithful or, or is that overstating it what what is he trying to accomplish in these more polemical works in the 60s and 70s 
Well, so so I don't think that's overstating it. I, mean, I think actually you do somewhere use the phrase that the the on declare you know, the sort of the treason or the betrayal of the of the, of the clerks, the clerics. Right. Um, so so yes, so part of the part of the critique is which I haven't talked about is precisely that he he thinks that that much of what's passing for theology at, at that time has lost sight of a vocation to speak to the church more more broadly. In a sense, you know, he says that you know, uh, it's it, many readers. I forget the exact quote, but many readers will be shocked at. at uh, I think he's talking about soundings now. Many of the readers will be shocked by a book like Soundings, or almost all of the authors of which are in fact clergy with pastoral responsibilities. About at how little help there seems to be in here for the for the for for for, for the Christ, for the church as a whole as to understand what's going on to deal oh, with the kind of career crisis yeah. it, 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 exa- exactly so and there's a sense in which that that uh so that's part part of the problem um and there are you and you know you could actually think a little bit about how how so there's a history of publishing and reception behind all of that, which which I won't go into now. But but another piece of a related piece of, of the puzzle is actually about the theological colleges. Um, this is a point in time where, as you said, there's a bit of, there's a there's a crisis of, of 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 numbers of people. So so the late 60s sees quite a quite a rapid drop off of of of, of, of the traditional indicators of Christian observance. So uh, uh, baptisms. Uh, attendance at church, uh, vocations to to ordination. Um, there's a rather hurried uh, reorganisation of the theological colleges in the early 70s because they suddenly find themselves with a whole lot of extra capacity that they don't need because the numbers of men has dropped off. Um, that provokes quite a lot of soul searching about um, who should be staffing the theological colleges and what it is that people should be learning. And the relationship with the universities comes into that. You know, should the theological colleges how much of the, how much of their teaching expertise should in fact be coming out of the universities? Should they be based in the same cities? Uh, and a number of voices say, "Well, the only way for the church to kind of to to take its to take its chance in this brave new in this bracing new world of of, of challenge, but an opportunity in in uh, is to is to is to embed itself in the university and to enrich the discipline from within." Whereas Maskell's view is that really that's 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 the, absolutely the wrong direction to be running. Really, the church needs to think really seriously about whether its theological formation provision actually can, whether he actually rather he comes to think I think that that that, that really uh, the training that ordinands are going to get through uh, through the link with the university faculties is so going to innovate their theology in their prayer life that it will hinder their ministry when they finally get to the parishes and so in a sense actually he sees uh, it, ne- it never it doesn't really go anywhere but he sees that actually really the theological colleges ought to be the kind of powerhouse mm. uh, uh, that, that, that they re- that they aren't or don't seem to be and i think in that he's looking back to his time at lincoln where he where where he is preceded by ramsey and his the staff that, that the other people that are on the staff at the time are really quite quite solid and 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 and, and, and uh, sort of new, and, and sort of very scholarly and very sound people as you would have seen it and so there's so, so all of those all of those things in play there's a problem with the universities there's a problem with the theological colleges there's a problem with the way in which theology is communicated directly in print and in the media as well all of those things are in play as far as you understand it um, okay so peter i, I think you you've 
given us a really good presentation of, of Maskell's vision of the vocation of the theologian and also the sort of theological work that he did throughout his own life. But we're, we're in a, a different time in the Anglican communion. We're in a different situation in terms of the theological conversation. Is Maskell's work still relevant? Are, are there theologians around who are taking up his work and engaging with it? What have you noticed as you've delved into the scholarship? Well, see, that's a, it's a good question, which I find, I find myself slightly hard to answer just, just because, just because actually I think the Theological Academy and the Church, Church Historical Academy are not actually terribly well integrated with each other. Um, and so, there have, insofar, there, there's been a handful of assessments of Maskell's career. Um, not very, very recent, but you know, in the in the last sort of since his since his death, um, or, or, or certainly since his retirement and since his death, which have tended to stress uh, hit the, the philosophical work most particularly as this, as the, the part of his work with the greatest kind of enduring value, and I think you know, and I'm not a philosopher, I think that might that might be right. Um, there's still some regard for, for, for his, there's one book of his which we haven't talked about on Christian theology and natural science, which which held sway for, for quite a long time, because Maskell's mathematical background gave him a particular interest in the in the physical mathematical sciences and their relation with theology, which was actually, I've yet really to kind of spend very much time assessing, but there's something in it. Um, you can see, you can see his, his, his Amongst the philosophers of, of religion who are uh, Thomist in kind of orientation, you can see his name still being uh, getting kind of an honourable mention. Other than that, I don't have a clear enough view into the discipline to know, but it's not clear to me that there has been very much contemporary theology, dogmatic theology that has really drawn drawn on it. Okay. Um, but that said, that which is why I was very interested, very interested, and kind of encouraged uh, to hear you, hear you say that actually you're seeing uh, younger scholars really kind of uh, started to get rediscovered to a certain extent. So that kind of chimes with what I see on social media and on, from the outside. Um, I think I see quite a few. I think I see kind of clergy and uh, young ordinands and uh, starting to find some of the, the some of the classic bits of his work. Uh, quite quite you know to be to be fresh and mm. interesting um i don't it's not clear to me uh, whether Maskell was often criticized for not really taking some of the criticisms of his own work quite as seriously as he might um his cast of mind he is blessed and in some ways hindered by a very clear sense of the clarity of things. Uh, he, he's absolutely convinced that um, uh, reason will, must confirm revelation if only you could kind of get things clear enough, if that makes sense. There's, um, and so, the, and so he, there's, not, he, uh, there's not a big place for kind of a reasonable, natural doubt uh, within, within his thinking. Um, uh, that's a slight oversimplification, but I think there is there is part of that there, and so I wonder whether I'm not sure whether the modern academy can quite get past that level of sort of apparent certainty and dogmatism to use the word in the kind of literal sense within within the way that he works, and 
his work is quite a lot of the time quite combative and and that in itself is a barrier to some readers but I think there are some so I, I kind of see I mean I think if I'm right I think Christ the Christian in the church which is the second book that comes after he who is which is kind of the ecclesiology and sacramental Christology ecclesiology and sacramental theology that flows from the philosophical work that comes before it I think that is still in print I believe and I see and um, and, and it's that work and possibly his Corpus Christi which I see most often kind of be mentioned as, as kind of refreshing reads sort of classic restatements of a, a kind of approach to dogmatic theology which might still have some value um, I also tend to think I, uh, they're, they're slightly underplayed. I think his, the importance of being human, which is his theological anthropology from, I think, uh, 1959. I think that reads very well still. My personal favourite is actually a very small book uh, called Grace and Glory, which is his meditation on uh, the prospect of heaven, the, the vision of God, uh, which I think is, is, is a rather lovely, is a rather rather beautiful book in many ways and, and, and Michael Rams certainly certainly appreciated it and wrote a forward uh, for it that was a point of, that was a point at which the two of them are really really close together so so yeah I mean I want so that that's my sense of it I wonder whether that kind of chimes with your your observations among the people you're meeting if well, I can yes. turn the question uh, back on you. No, that, that's fair so part of the reason I thought to have you on is that a, a new Mask, well, a new mask book came out in the past couple of weeks. Uh, a friend of mine in, in St. Andrews, uh, Ewan Grant, was working with the Shorterhouse Press to put The Openness of Being back into print. Oh, right. Uh, he's the Gifford Fellow there, and those were the Gifford Lectures. Um, and, and I think that's a, a kind of a, a, good, a good sequel to He Who Is and, and Existence and Analogy and continues making a, a arguments along similar lines and and then we're gonna so we've had you and grant on uh, the podcast once before and i think he he he's he's engaged with um andre de lubach and, and uh and, and and john milbank and rowan williams and this kind of questions about cre creation and the creator and nature and grace and sin and how these things all relate but but i think he's also taking on board some some influences from um Father Thomas Joseph White and some of what's happening with scholasticism right now. And, and, and so he's somewhat critical of the, the direction that the sort of radical orthodoxy school has taken Anglo-Catholicism in recent years. And, and I think wants to recover something uh, more akin to what Farr and, and Maskell were doing at, at another time. And, and um, so, so it would be great to have him on to talk about this new edition of the openness of being, but, but we do have scheduled uh, Father Gerald McDermott, who is the, the head of Anglican Studies at Beeson, and I think he's still involved in the Shota House a bit, he's going to come on to talk about Maskell's theology. And, and he put um, Christ the Christian, the church, back into print a few years ago. And then he also put uh, Corpus Christi back into print with the Shota House Press. And I, I, I agree with you, though. I've been seeing people engaging with these works, and, and so I think there's a hunger. And so it, it's helpful to have you recommend um, the importance of being human and and uh, grace and glory because I think those are two that are also out of print. It's it's shocking to me. Uh, you know, if we were uh, Eastern Orthodox or or, or a Roman Catholic, there's no way that our 
our major <laughs> theologian of the 20th century would have fallen out of print like this. It, it, it's quite scandalous. Well, I mean, can I, uh, I mean, I think there are, I mean, if there's time, I think there are some reasons for that in many ways. Okay. And part, I mean, part of the issue is that actually that, ramp, that, that, that Maskell, there isn't any one book that quite becomes his kind of classic, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and he never, he never produces a summer. There's, there isn't one work that kind of that rounds up and, and summarizes a life's work. Um, and, you know, he's actually, he's continuing to write and then examine and critique, not, not quite up to his death, but, you know, there's, a, uh, uh, you know, there's at least one unpublished manuscript among his papers. Um, and so there's a sense in which actually it was hard in order to get a grip of him, it, it's 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 a big job to get hold of it because you know I've got I must have I can't count them I've got as you know there's probably twenty five books of his on the shelf here and there are there are literally hundreds of of articles and book reviews uh, to get through and so he he's hard to kind of he's hard to kind of run down and so mm -hmm. I think there's part of that um, and as I said I, I think I think his I think some of his style in particularly in the more uh, polemical and apologetic stuff is uh, readers find. Slight, I would expect readers to find slightly hard to hard hard to get, hard to go with, and he also put himself on what I would tend, in retrospect, tend to think were were the less helpful side of a number of the ecumenical and other disputes of the period, which we we, we could could go into, if that makes sense. And so I think all so I think those are some of the reasons why he's fallen. There's a certain kind of neglect of his work, but I should be of course be glad to see 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 there's a, a kind of re-engagement and, and would hope to kind of try and fund and, and guide some of that if possible. And I guess one final question for you: you've you've written a few articles on his work. Is is there a book in the works, or do you have more articles lined up? Do Do you have any other uh, questions that you're asking regarding his thought? Well. It's interesting you should ask. I, the, the project I did, I did originally conceive of the project as a whole as a book, um, but figured that that actually it might struggle to find a publisher, which I still mm. think was probably correct. Uh, um, I, think I, I might be able to introduce you to some people that there could be. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, so I mean, we, demand, we can have yes. we could certainly have that conversation. Um, I, I think, or, or at least. So, I mean, at least not the very, very very, very in-depth, detailed kind of study that would be needed really to kind of in, in, in encompass his whole his whole sphere of activity. Mm -hmm. That would be a really big book and actually quite a quite a hard, quite hard going. So, I took the decision to, uh, to 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 do some of that hard sort of sort of uh, groundwork in article and chapter form. So, as I, as I, as I was saying before, the so the one the article we've been discussing came out in the. International Journal of the Study of the, the Christian Church, and it's available on my website, which is peterwebster.me. Uh, there's also a summary of that chapter on Anglican Methodist reunion. I have uh, another. There's another piece under peer review on his on the 30s and 40s and his initial adoption of, of, of Thomism and the context in which that happened. There's another article which has been accepted for publication next year on his opposition to the ordination of women as priests. Uh, there's another one in draft on his social and political thought. I can imagine in the fullness of time that this might turn, uh, I can imagine a, a short introduction to Askell uh, from, a, from, a, from a press that with designs to reach the general reader. I can imagine that kind of project, but the, the, th the kind of the three volume life and works of, of, of Maskell is, is probably not on the cards, or at least not anytime soon. Right.
Well, uh, I, I, although it seems like you keep moving and moving uh, in that direction with all these all these new articles lined up, that's exciting. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, thank thank all of you for listening. And you can look forward to upcoming conversations uh, on on Maskell's work. Uh, our, our next episode will be one such with Father Gerald McDermott.